Hi, I'm Michael Morris. Thank you for joining us as we journey through the Christian Fundamentals Discipleship course. Living for Christ is a choice that we have the privilege of making every day. The Bible is brimming with life-giving truths and rich promises from God. It tells us what He is like and sheds light on His plans and purposes for our lives. The better we understand, embrace, and apply these truths, the richer our personal relationship with Him will be. So just to give a bit of recap, we're doing a discipleship course. What does it mean to be a disciple? Wow. Okay, we're going to have to start from the beginning tonight. Come on, this is an easy question. I'm not going even deeper. What does it mean to be a disciple? It means to be a follower of Jesus. And we are called to be disciples. And a disciple is not... As decision we make and say, right, I am now a Christian, a discipleship to be a follower of Jesus means that every single day I am following Jesus. Every single day I'm looking to Him, I'm listening to Him, I'm working with His unctions in my heart to be Jesus to the world around me. That's what it means to be a disciple, to learn His ways, to transform into His image. We've spoken about worship. Worship is not just a song sung, though it may be expressed that way. It's not a prayer prayed. Again, it may be expressed that way. Worship, we begin to worship God when we come into the fullness of who it is He's created to be. Our very natural expression becomes worship and a melody to God to bless His heart. What else have we discussed? We've discussed worship. We've discussed righteousness. That was a biggie, right? That was a big deal. To understand that in Jesus... All our sin has been washed away. There is no more accusation against us. Oh, I lie. There's still accusations because there's, there's someone called the accuser of the brethren who still roams around and throws darts at us. But God has washed away every single sin. And when He looks at us, there, He sees Jesus. He sees righteousness. Why? Because He's paid the price for the sin. He's forgiven our sin past, present, and future. That means we live life from a perspective of not, oh, I'm, how many things am I going to do wrong today? but from the understanding that everything I do becomes an expression of who I really am, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I can undermine that. I can do foolish things. I still have the capability of sin, so I'm not preaching that kind of thing. But we live life from an understanding that we are now at peace with God. I'm not trying to earn peace with God or live in such a way to please Him. I live in such a way understanding that God is already pleased with me in spite of everything or anything that I've done. And that liberates me. That means I don't live and walk around with a guilt conscience. I walk around with a righteousness consciousness. In other words, I can approach God freely, which is an important part when we come to our next lesson of prayer. What is prayer? Communication with God. Prayer is all about communication with God, being in His presence and, and abiding in that place. We spoke about sanctification That was quite a big one for us as well. To understand that becoming like Jesus is a process, but it's a wonderful journey that He invites us on where He, little by little, sets us free from ways of thinking and from from mindsets that have a hold on us. He sets us free from them and brings us into the fullness of who He is, able to express His love to the world around us. Then, last week, Stephen spoke to us about the church. And just an understanding of what ecclesia is, the called out ones. For me, the, the most awesome thing in that church is understanding the, 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 the Roman conventum. 
where you, two or more citizens are together, there was Rome, there was the presence of Caesar, and how Jesus just piggybacked on that analogy and said, where two or more of you are gathered together in my name, there I am. And there the kingdom of God is. And how the church, the members of this body, as diverse as they are, each one has a place, each one's role is important, and just the fact that God's Spirit works in and amongst us. The most incredible thing about church for me is this. When Jesus makes this statement, and I think we, we so often get this wrong, when he says, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. And many of us think that being a Christian and being identified to the world around us as being a Christian is, no, Christians are those people who pray a lot, who go to church a lot, who, you know, do certain things. And none of that stuff Jesus draws attention to. If you look at what he says to the Corinthian church, and they made it all about the gifts, all about these manifestations, all about the miraculous. And even that, although it's good and it's great, Jesus doesn't even draw attention to that. When it comes to church, Jesus says, this is one thing. will make the whole world know that you are of me, that you love, that you sincerely care for one another. That's a beautiful, a beautiful thing to understand. And we looked at the end of that appendix. You got the one another scriptures. Love one another, greet one another, submit to one another, be kind to one another, etc., etc., etc. Tonight, we are going to be talking about the believer's authority. This is quite a big deal. It's a subject I really love. I love the subject of authority. A lot of people have issues with authority because authority in their life has been misrepresented. In other words, it's been abusive, uh, it's been controlling, it's perhaps been manipulative. My experience of authority, though I have some of those, have been very positive. In my life, uh, an understanding of authority has unlocked blessing. It's unlocked and positioned me in protection. It's unlocked so many things in my life. And we need to understand that within the kingdom of God, authority is a big deal. I want to open up by reading you a a statement that I, I heard by Bill Johnson. And he says this, A renewed mind lives with the awareness that sometimes... God wants to do things through you, not for you. What does he mean by that? What he means by that is this. As, an, as immature believers, we come to God for what he can do for us. And that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. When my, child, my children are immature, when they are babies, they come to me for one thing, what they can get. When they need food, when they need to have a nappy changed when they need comfort, when they, they, they come, I am purely a source of meeting their needs. That's all I am to them. As they grow older, we manipulate them into giving us hugs and kisses and love for our gratification, but all the rest is really about what we can do for them. And so that, there's a point in that where each of us start our journey with God in that needy position where God meets our needs, and that's his desire. He wants to. But we're not supposed to stay there. That's why Bill Johnson says the renewed mind. So the mind that begins to come to a place of maturity, that understands love, comes to a place where it's not just about what me and what I can get. So if you read, for example, just to lay a foundation for the statement, if you read 1 Corinthians 13, the whole passage of love, love is patient. Love is a selfless thing, right? And it's amazing that after that whole discourse about love, The apostle says, when I was a child, I thought as a child and I spoke as a child. What does he mean? Children are all about themselves. What about me? Where's mine? If I do something for one of my kids, the other one immediately, where's mine? What do I get? Because it's about me. 
I mean, I'm not happy that she got anything. I'm just happy that if she, that she got something means I could get something. Now, a mature person, when they come to a greater level of maturity, realizes that life isn't just all about them. If we are going to follow Jesus as our example, we need to understand that Jesus didn't live for himself. So Bill says, I'll read it again, a renewed mind lives with the awareness that sometimes God wants to do things through you and not for you. And this is where the believer's authority begins to take center stage. Because we begin to realize that we are kingdom agents for change within the world. That the change we, we, we long to see deep within our hearts, and the change that God wants to bring that we read about in Scripture, that His plan is to co-labor with you and I to bring that to fruition, to bring that into the world. Let me ask you a question. Why did Jesus come to earth? Anybody want to have a stab at that right off the bat? Why did Jesus come? Okay, restoration. Come on, there's not a trick question, folks. To save us, right? All right, so here's, here's what I'm going to do then. We are going to discover the purpose Jesus came because he actually articulated it really simply. Now, when that happens, in that moment, tonight, that you discover the reason Jesus came, I want you to shout. I want you to shout out. Okay? You with me? I will probably get a fright, but that's a good thing. That's okay. So you understand, tonight, we are going to discover why Jesus came, and that's quite a big deal. Because if we're going to co-labor with him to achieve something, we need to understand what this thing is that he came to achieve, right? So when you discover it, we're going to see who pops first. Okay? Shout. Make a noise. So let's get into our notes and look at the purpose of this lesson. An understanding of what true authority is, how it works, and why it has been given to every disciple of Jesus Christ is a vital part in understanding our roles and responsibilities as members of the kingdom of God. Every one of my children has roles and responsibilities, even within my home. And the older they get, the more roles and responsibilities they will have. Why? Because they need to learn how to manage things. And the only way you learn how to do things is through consistently doing them. If she can't feed the dog on a consistent basis at seven years old, every single morning, have that be part of her routine, then there's something wrong. Would you agree with me? You're raising somebody who is incapable of handling responsibility. Now... We need to understand that as members of the kingdom of God, there are roles and responsibilities that God places, that, that, that we have as members. I'm careful to word it that way instead of saying that God places on us in terms of a burden that we have to perform. Anytime we get into that kind of thinking, we get into legalism. And then we've got a problem because our thinking goes down a path that it's, it's not supposed to. Anything that God requires of you, and I want you to really understand this tonight, anything that God requires of you, He expects to come out of the overflow of that which He has placed within you. I want to say that again. Anything that God expects from you and from me, He intends for it to come out of the overflow of Himself, of His Spirit, of His life, of His Word that He has placed within us. Anything else is carnal, carnal works. 
works of the flesh, things that we do in our own efforts, in our own ability to try and please God or appease God or achieve things for Him that we think He wants us to do. So the motivation and the inspiration comes from God. The Bible says He works in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. So God gives you the desire and the ability. You see, if we begin living life from this place, we will avoid both legalism and striving in the flesh to please or appease God. But the catch is this. If you're not spending time in the presence of God, He's not going to be able to inspire you. He's not going to be able to bring desires in you and lead you and guide you. That's why we're talking about following Jesus. Because that's what this is all about. So the purpose of this lesson is to bring the believer to a vibrant understanding and experience of their position in Christ Jesus. Once established in this reality, a believer is empowered to live their life from a place of blessing, authority, and overcoming victory, equipped to the extent to extend and establish sorry, the influence of God's kingdom. So like I said, we are agents or ambassadors or representatives of the kingdom of God, not objects of it. Did you get that? We are agents or operatives, or representatives of God's kingdom. We are not the object of it. God's kingdom does not exist for you. But you and I, become, as we become members of that kingdom, we embrace the value system of that kingdom. Therefore, it can work in us and through us to bring about that life to those around us. So let's understand authority. The word authority has two primary meanings. Number one, the power or the right to give orders and make decisions and enforce obedience. Oh, that's hectic. And the second one is the right to act in a specified way, delegated from one person or organization to another. So authority, therefore, is the right or permission, and that's quite an important thing. It's not just an ability. It's also permission. It's the right or permission to exercise power or ability or influence and must therefore be given or consented to. It cannot be simply assumed. Although I may be able to, in a situation, stand in the street and stop a truck, or you know what I can do? I can stand my house where I grew up. There was a stop street right next to our driveway. And people used to just drive through that stop street all the time. And you know, I could stand in my, my stop street and, and watch people coming and know they're not going to stop. And you feel a sense of righteous indignation rise up within your heart when you see this car approaching and they go through the stop street like you knew they would. You, hey, you're supposed to stop at a stop street! Da, 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 da. And you can shout at people, but you can't give them a fine. You understand Why? No, I've got the power to shout at them just as good as any police officer out there. But I have no authority. They'll laugh at me. Nah, what the, there he goes again. You understand? It's, so authority is not just ability. It's not just power. It's also permission. And only genuine authority can give or release authority. Miles Monroe says it this way. There is no authority without authority, and without authority, there is no authority. <laughs> legitimate authority releases legitimate authority. And authority is a big deal in the kingdom of God, because when we begin understanding authority, 
we can cooperate with it. Now listen, here's the problem that we have when talking about authority. The problem that we have is that we live in a fallen world. And as I said when I started, much of our experience of authority comes from abusive authority or from negligent authority. So let's say, for example, the Bible says every day, well, the Bible says we must regularly pray for our government. Government is the authority appointed by God to rule and to govern social areas of our society. Amen? Do you agree with that? And the Bible says we need to pray for them. And what's the expectation? That we will have righteous authority because when the righteous are in power and in authority, there is peace and the people are blessed. Now, whether or not it's righteous, the Bible tells us we need to pray for our authority every day. Why? Because there's a principle. They hold the power to unlock things and to bind things. Have you heard that somewhere in the Bible? Authority, they are authorized to act in a certain way. We have two ladies here who understand authority probably better than any of us. They're both prosecutors within the South African judicial system. They understand the might of the law. That when the judge of the high court or the constitutional court, however high you want to go, finally gives a verdict and says, this is the way it's going to be, it doesn't matter if you cry, it doesn't matter if you shout, it doesn't matter if you run, if you hide, if you, no matter what you do, the decision has been made. And that is how it will be. Everybody under that authority has to carry out the orders given by that authority. Do you understand? So if we begin to understand authority this way, we understand that submission to authority unlocks a whole lot of things in our lives. And we're going to get into that now. Authority is always positional and representational. A traffic officer is authorized to represent the government of the country. So when that traffic officer finally does rock up at that stop street and the car goes through and he gets on his radio and says to the other traffic officer down the street, Blue City Golf, registration CA, bleedy bloody blee, went through the stop street. And that guy pulls him over. He has authority. Who is backing him? President Cyril Ramaphosa is backing him. His commander back in the station is backing him. The entire government, the military, the army, the air force, the navy, everybody is backing him because he represents the lot. Do you understand? An ambassador also is authorized to represent the interests and opinions of his country and make impactful decisions accordingly. So an ambassador is sent by the country to represent the country's interests. Now, it's very interesting. If you think about an ambassador, so if you think, for example, UN would be a good example. South Africa has a chance to address, South Africa's ambassador to the United Nations has a chance to address the, the, the United Nations. Have you ever seen an ambassador stand up and say, my country's position is ABC? Well, actually, I think CDF is a whole lot better. But, you know, ABC... Yeah, they're never entitled to express their opinion on a matter. They're never entitled to express a prejudice or a preference. They are there to express the interests, the desires, the values, and the views of their country. Now, what does that mean if you and I are ambassadors of the kingdom of God? It means that we exist on this earth to follow Jesus and represent Him, His values, His views, whether I understand or agree with them or not. Now, you will find that as you grow in the Lord, there's going to be a lot of things that really get in the way of your personal opinions. There's going to be a lot of things that really get in the way of your way of thinking. What are you going to do with them? 
Many people grapple with these things. Why? Because they, they refuse to let go of a certain opinion or a way of thinking and embrace Jesus' way of thinking. They refuse to represent Him and His views rather than their own. Why? Simply because they haven't made His their own yet. Uh, the whole journey of discipleship is to make His views our views. His values, our values. Amen? And that means change. Hence, sanctification, which we spoke about last week. The power and influence enjoyed by these positions of authority are dependent upon the party's submission to the authority that they represent. So, in other words, if I, as a traffic officer, no longer want to obey the traffic rules myself, I am ineligible to be a traffic officer. Right? You cannot walk into a courtroom, Carmen, and start telling the judge, look, we're going to do things a little bit differently today. I hope you don't mind. Right? You'd be through. I mean, do you do that? <laughs> You'd be thrown out of court. You'd be held in contempt of court, right? So the point, the point is this. In order for somebody to hold a position of authority, he needs to submit to the conditions that are applied and to the chain of command. Authority, therefore, true authority, begins with submission. James 4 verse 7 gives us a great picture of what this looks like. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. There's a clear order outlined. Number one, submit to God. Without this first step, the following two are impossible. Submission is always the prerequisite to genuine authority. Number two, resist the devil. And this is an act founded in the power, act of faith, founded in the power and authority we receive through submitting to God, and he will flee for you, from you. Although there may be resistance, genuine authority always prevails. Now let me ask you a question. When the devil flees from you, is he freeing from you? Is he afraid of you? No. He's afraid of the authority that you have submitted yourself to. You see, when the man is now on his, on his driving away, trying to get away from the traffic cop, he's not really afraid of the traffic cop. He's afraid of the consequences of his actions that will be measured to him, not by the traffic cop, but by the system the traffic cop represents. You understand the picture? Yeah. And so we need to understand, first of all, how authority works. When we understand how authority works, we can, through submission, position ourselves under it, and in doing so, be empowered by it. So let's talk a little bit about God's authority through mankind. God's original mandate to mankind was to exercise authority and have dominion over creation on His behalf. Genesis 1.26. This is the purpose of creation originally. And God said... Let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion. Pause. Who did God give dominion to? To you and to me. This is very important. Very important that we understand this. God said, let them have dominion. He authorized us to function and gave us authority and the beautiful thing about that is, in doing so, he gave us free will that we can determine the consequences of our actions. That's what authorizing does. When you are authorized in an area, you are accountable for that over which you have been given authority. So who's accountable in this place? Who's in charge? Who is God looking to? 
these are good questions because we kind of have this fatalistic idea that somehow God is in control and God is in charge of everything. And you say, you say that to some people that maybe God isn't in control. And they're like, oh! but then he wouldn't be God. No, look, God is sovereign over everything. But this verse right in the beginning says, let them, let them determine what goes on in that place. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle. Now, also, it says this. It doesn't say, let him have dominion over all the other humans. It said, let them, humanity, have dominion over all creation. Were any of us designed originally to have dominion over one another? Important point that, don't you think? Over the birds of the sea, over the... Sorry, the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the cattle over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. As long as man remained under or in subjection to God's authority, they were empowered to represent him and express his heart over all creation. Why? Because that's all they knew. All they knew was God's heart. He breathed life into them. They had no concept of good or of evil. Why? Because they'd never eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everything that they did came, was an expression of their righteousness. Everything they did came as an overflow of God working in them. So when Adam did sin by disobeying God, what did he do? He submitted himself to an illegitimate authority of another voice, the devil. Now let's pause there. So here's what Satan does. He comes onto the scene and he deceives Eve. He says, did God really say that you, shall, you must not eat of the you know, tree of knowledge of good and evil? And he begins to question. What does he question? He doesn't question Eve. He begins to question authority. Did authority really say this? And I've told, I want to tell you something. In, in, in 15 years of ministry, the devil's primary tactic in so many people's lives, and I even recognize how he uses that tactic even in my heart sometimes. He tries to pull that string. If the enemy can delegitimize legitimate, godly authority in your heart, he can lead you astray. That's his tactic. That's what he did with Eve. That's how he deceived her. God did. You will not die. God just knows, or the authority just knows, that if you do that, you will become like him. Newsflash, Eve, you're already like him. He's holding out on you. Authority is mistreating you. Authority is, being, is withholding from you. Why do you think that authority still got such a bad name in the world today? Because it's still such a successful ploy of the enemy. If he can get you to undermine your authority, to mistrust your authority, he can lead you astray. But here's the catch. He is an illegitimate authority. What he says is a perversion of the truth. He's telling lies. And so by submitting to the lie, to the voice of the devil, mankind forfeited his dominion giving him legal right to do it. Remember, we said there can be no authority without submission. So submission plays a huge deal in authority, and this is where the spiritual principle comes, to, where, comes in, where it says there, you are slave to the voice you consistently obey. Whoever you submit to, whatever voice you submit to, is the voice that holds authority and sway and influence in your life. So do you remember when we had that picture, when we did that, that, that demonstration, when we had sanctification? 
You can listen to the voice of the father of lies tell you that you're nothing. You can listen to him say that you're worthless, that you're a sinner, that you've messed up, that God is unhappy with you, that God is holding out on you, that somebody, your pastor hates you. Oh, you're just a burden. You can listen to all of that. But here's the catch. If you do, you become a slave to that way of thinking. You become dominated by it. Or you can listen to the voice of the father of life speak his love and affirmation and blessing over you. And folks, listen, it's very easy to determine which one is which. However, something in us gravitates towards the negative. Have you noticed that? Something in us finds it easy to believe the negative about ourselves and difficult to believe the positive, what God says about us. And that's the importance of renewing our mind. That's where sanctification comes in, folks. It's such an important thing for us to renew our minds, to think not according to the old ways, but according to the new ways. Paul said something, and I, I thought about the Scripture the other day, and I couldn't believe that it wasn't, that it wasn't in my notes. So I'm just going to throw it in now. He says this, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So there comes a point where I have to stop submitting, stop listening to, stop believing in that which contradicts the word of God, that which is a lie. Eve believed the lie. She was deceived. Okay? Here's the problem with deception. I want you to understand how dangerous deception is. You know what the problem is with deception? You're deceived. And the problem with that is, you may say, Michael, that makes no sense. The problem with deception is this, is that you believe a lie to be the truth, and because you believe a lie is the truth, you're unable to identify what is the truth. If you think a lie is the truth, then you will think a truth is a lie, and you will reject it. That's the danger of deception. You deliberately reject that which is true in order to believe a lie. And that will work out all different kinds of things within your thinking, within your relationships, within your life. So the voice we submit to is an incredibly important thing because that voice begins to legitimize things in our lives, either for good or for bad, and work itself out. This whole principle... Of submitting. So, so when, when Adam and Eve submitted, they believed what the devil said over what God said. They submitted to him. And what happened? They came under the curse. God is the God of blessing. The enemy is the Lord of the curse. So they began to see in their lives the fruit of that which they chose to believe and follow. They became slaves to the voice that they obeyed. And this is why the devil was legitimately able to offer mankind's authority to Jesus when he tempted him. Why? Because instead of God being the Lord over all mankind, through mankind's submission, not to God, their rebellion from him and their submission to the devil, they were now under his influence. The Bible tells us that he is the God of this world. And look at it. In Luke chapter 4, the devil is tempting Jesus in the wilderness. He's been fasting, and the devil says to him, All this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Was he lying? No. No, in that point, actually, he was telling the truth. 
He was telling the truth that all the authority was his. He was lying in that he could give it to Jesus. Why could he not give it to Jesus? Because he was illegitimate. You cannot infer authority coming from an illegitimate place. So therein was the perversion. Therein was the lie. But the truth is this. He had influence over the mind of the world. He became the Lord, the God of this world. But here's the thing. Here's the glimmer of hope that Jesus, through his sinless life, through his atoning death, and through his overcoming resurrection, defeated the power and authority of the devil and now reigns supreme over all creation. Where the first Adam failed, where the first Adam submitted to the voice of the enemy, the second Adam, Jesus, submitted only to the voice of his Father. How did he do that? He says, I do only that which I see my Father doing. I only speak what I hear my Father saying. He was the, the, the perfect example of what discipleship looks like, completely in tune with the voice of the Father of life. Therefore, able to identify truth from, from fallacy, from the lie. And he never once submitted to the temptation of the devil. And listen, Jesus was legitimately tempted. He says, I was tempted in all ways, but he overcame every single one. Why? What gave him the grace to do that? Was it because he was God? Listen, within you and me is the very same nature now as born-again believers that it was in Jesus. What makes the difference in Jesus' life is that he was constantly tuned into the voice of the Father and he submitted himself, his way of thinking, his point of reasoning to the Father. Philippians 2 verse 9 to 11 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. So because the devil could not exercise deception and dominion over Jesus, guess what? Jesus beat him. He conquered him. He played him at his own game and won. And therefore God has exalted him and given him the name that is above every other name, that at his name every knee will bow. Every knee will bow. We're talking about ultimate authority here. Ultimate authority. There is not an idea, there is not a person, there is not an ideology, there is not a spirit that will not, and, and, that will not bow to the name and the authority of Jesus because he is now ultimate. He has been exalted to the highest place. And listen to this. In heaven, on earth, under the earth. That covers the lot. His name reigns supreme. Derek Prince says, Christ has already defeated Satan and all his evil powers and authorities totally and forever. He did it through his death on the cross, through his shed blood, and through his triumphant resurrection. Now this is a really important thing. Because we need to understand that our King Jesus is not a king who is involved in battle anymore because the victory has already been won. When he hung on that cross and shouted out the word, Tetelestai, what did that mean? It is finished. What he came to do was finished and established. And you're still going to shout. We haven't gotten there yet, but I'm waiting for it. It's going to pop any minute now. 
by submitting our lives. This is where it becomes real to you and me. By submitting our lives once again to the legitimate authority of Jesus Christ. Just pause for a moment. God gave legitimate authority to mankind. Mankind legitimately lost or gave that authority to somebody else by obeying another voice. Jesus didn't just come and wipe it all out and start again. He legitimately won it back. So if you want to, if you want to picture a, a, a courtroom, it's, we spoke about justification. Jesus has justified us. We are declared just and righteous because Jesus did it legally. By submitting our lives once again to the legitimate authority of Jesus Christ, we become partakers of His established authority that was always intended to be ours. What does it mean? That means Jesus has given me a uniform to stand on my driveway in and legitimately stop traffic and give out fines where necessary. In that example, not in real life. (laughs) I mean, I could go hire a uniform still. Not legitimate. You understand the principle here? He has authorized us with his authority. The Bible calls this position as being in Christ. And the point is this. You will live and walk in the authority of the one you submit to. Ephesians 4, 4-7. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and has raised us up. Has raised us up? Say that again. Has raised us up? Say that again. To, to what? Together with who? Come on, guys. There's not a trick question here. With Christ. Listen to this. Just listen. We've just established that he has been given ultimate authority. Think about that. And then he goes on to say, God has raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Hey, that changes things, doesn't it? That's a big deal. Now, we think that just means, okay, I'm saved. I've got a happy little home in heaven. When I die, one day in the great by and by, there's a harp awaiting for me. No. What this verse is telling us is that all that authority that God gave to Jesus, he has inferred also to you and I. That's incredible. That's incredible that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. What is grace? Some people define grace as divine or unmerited favor. That is a part of grace, but it's a very small part of grace. It's the motive behind grace. True grace and true understanding of grace, a good way of putting it is is, uh, they have an acronym, grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. That's a really good acronym for grace. And what it basically means is this. Grace is the very person of Jesus Christ meeting me at my point of need to do in me and through me that which I cannot do myself. Now where grace begins to work in the life of a believer is it comes with authority and power that works in me and through me because I represent him. 
I represent that seat of authority, and that seat of authority lives within my heart. That's incredible. So let's look at how this begins to work itself out. Let's look at point number five, kingdom authority through Christ. What is a kingdom? Our last lesson in this whole thing is going to be kingdom focus. But just to briefly understand kingdom, a kingdom is a domain over which a king exercises authority and dominion. Okay? It's a domain over which a king exercises authority, and that's what we're talking about today. As believers, we are citizens and ambassadors of the kingdom of God. So that means Christ exercises his authority over us, over our lives. Now, what does that look like? His authority says, you're mine, you're beloved, you're free, you're empowered. That's what God's authority does. God's authority liberates. It does not condemn. If you're struggling with guilt and condemnation, know that you're listening to the wrong voice because that's not how God sees you. If you're struggling to believe that you're victorious or an overcomer, know that you're listening to the wrong voice. Because God sees you as victorious in Christ, as an overcomer in Christ. And as believers, we are therefore ambassadors and citizens of that king's, we are, we are that king's domain where his authority is, in which his authority and through which his authority is expressed. Christ has given his church the same authority that he walked in while on earth so that we can continue to enforce the rule and reign of the kingdom of God. John 14, 12 says this, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me... Pause. Does that include you? Do you believe in Jesus? Yeah. Yeah, you say that very boldly, Judith. And rightly so, rightly so. But let's read the rest of the verse, shall we? He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. So what is the expectation here from those who say they believe in God? That they say they believe in Jesus? That the same things Jesus did, we will do. Now, immediately we shrink back in our chairs and go, whoa, that's kind of scary. But I remember I, I, I prefaced this by saying, anything God wants to do through you will be inspired and empowered by Him. Agreed? So who's actually doing it? God is doing it through you. You're the agent. He, he, you know, He's going to use you. We'll get to that a little bit later as well. But the power comes from Him. The authority comes from Him. But there's evidence in this, folks. This, this verse is, we can't get away from verses like this. He who believes in me, there is evidence and there's an expectation. He who believes that I truly am who I say I am, he, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. He will do what I did. Cast out demons, heal the sick, preach liberty to the captives. There will be a presence of the kingdom, a manifestation of the goodness of God in his life or her life and through his or her life. By going to his father... Jesus effectively handed over the power and authority that he won back from the devil to the church. So Jesus said it to his disciples this way. He's talking to them and saying, guys, I've got to go. Not long from now, I'm going to die and I'm going to be taken from you. And they, they, they grappled with this. Jesus, you're the Messiah. Why? They, 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 it completely challenged their thinking of what the Messiah was going to be like. But Jesus' reason was this. He says, if I do not go, 
the helper will not come. You see, Jesus had to go to open the way to cleanse man's heart so that the Holy Spirit could no longer have to dwell in just a temple, but that the Holy Spirit and the empowerment that came upon Jesus could dwell upon every single one of us. Very interesting. Jesus didn't perform a single miracle until he was baptized with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was the one who empowered him to do the miraculous, that enabled him to do the miraculous. And likewise, in you and I, Jesus took care of every requirement against us so that we could become the temples of God, so that within you and I could dwell the Holy Spirit, so that through you and I, His power could be manifest to the world in the same way it was with Jesus. The Apostle Paul prayed fervently for the believers of, in Ephesus to have a revelation of their position of authority in Christ. Folks, I want to encourage you. Pray every single day. Ask God to give you greater revelation of the authority that you have in Jesus Christ. Use this scripture. Go to it. Ephesians 1, verse 18 to 23. The eyes, he prays, he says, that the eyes of their understanding may be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the exceeding riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His mighty power. According to, what does that mean? That means the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. And God, here Paul prays, I just, I pray that you would have a revelation of the fullness of that which is dwelling within you because when you do, your life is going to change for the better. Many Christians today live lives of turkeys or chickens. Remember that lesson? We were born to soar in the Spirit. Why? Because we still think like turkeys or chickens. Now, Paul prays it. He just said that your mind would be, that you would understand the greatness of that which dwells in you, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand, at his right hand in heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age which is to come. You see the same kind of thing being said again. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things, listen to this, to the church. So the understanding in this is that Jesus has ultimate dominion and authority, and he gives that and expresses that, expresses that authority to and through the church. That's who he gives his authority to. You could say, why does Jesus tell you? Why doesn't he just come? You know, the enemy is defeated. Why doesn't he just come and sort it out? Because he's chosen to do it through you. That's just the simple answer. God wants to see His kingdom come in and through His people, the ones who He legitimately gave authority to in the very beginning. And He put all things under His feet and gave Him to be the head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. A revelation of our authority in Christ is vital for the believer to live a life that is not only free from sin, but is also a threat to the
to the kingdom of darkness. What are we talking about here? We're talking about effective Christianity. Christianity that brings results and change in my life and through my life. Where Christianity is not just a set of programs. It's not going to a building on a Sunday. Christianity is not a set of prayers or a set of rules. But where Christianity so transforms who I am, that who I am begins to so transform everything around me with the kingdom of God. So you're beginning to understand that this whole journey of following Jesus has so much more to, to, there's so much more to it than just that I can be saved and that I can become like Him. The point is that there's a world out there that Jesus came to save. He is the catalyst. He's the one who got the ball rolling. He's the one who made it, makes it possible and has won the victory. But through you and through me, that victory needs to, be, needs to find manifestation in our hearts, first of all, that we are delivered and set free from the lies that we've believed, from that which has oppressed us, from, from things that have had a hold on us, that, we, that that kingdom begins to work in our lives to bring healing and restoration, like you mentioned earlier on. But then once that has taken place, and as that takes place, we also become agents through which that can happen in other people's lives. It's important to understand, as we exercise our authority, that our war and our fight is not against people, but against the ideology, influence, and manifestation or works of the kingdom of darkness. John 1, 3, John 1, chapter 3, verse 8. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that He might destroy the works of the devil. Christ has given us mighty spiritual weapons in order to exert His authority on our behalf. Okay? 2 Corinthians 10, verse 46 says this, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. What does that mean? Not fleshly. They're not of this world. They're not of this world. Let's just think about that. Let's, shall we just unpack that for a minute? Let's just unpack that for a minute. I want to just dwell here for a second. The weapons that God gives us, in other words, the authority and the power that God gives us, are not of this world. If they were of this world, they would be subject to this world. which is a fallen world. Everything that is created in this world, creation itself, comes from what? It comes from the spiritual realm. God is a spirit being. He spoke the world and everything into existence, established authority within the earth. Even that is a spoken thing. God released that. All of that was created from the spiritual realm. We've made a mess here in the natural realm. Would you agree? It's had ramifications in the spiritual realm. But the natural realm is always going to be subject to the spiritual realm. The natural, what, who you are and what you do, and, what, and, and how you live your life, is always going to be subject to the influence that you submit yourself to. So when he says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, he's saying they're not fleshly, in other words, physical weapons, but he's also saying that they're not of this world. 
So God gives us something which in and of itself is of His essence, which is supernatural, which is beyond this world, but within it has the power to bring about change and creativity and the miraculous within this world because it comes from the place that established it in the first place. So the weapons that God gives us are not of this world, but they are mighty in God for what? For pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Let's pause. Many people think that our warfare, okay, well, if it's not carnal, then it's against these spiritual forces in the heavenlies. And there are some scriptures that talk about stuff that goes on in the heavenlies. I'm not denying that. But we need to understand that this is what, what, what Paul is talking about here. He's talking to believers. He's talking to the church, and he says that God has given us something that is not of this world. It's not of natural human reasoning. It's revelation for revolution. And it says there that it is mighty through God for pulling down strongholds. What is a stronghold? A stronghold is a mindset. It is a way of thinking. Here's a really good example of what that looks like. You travel down a sand road or a muddy road when it's been raining. And you do that consistently, day after day after day. Eventually, along that road, you will get what's called ruts, wheel ruts. Grooves in the road that your car, you can take your hand off the steering wheel and just put your foot down and the car will stay in those grooves. That's a stronghold. So, for example, a stronghold is a way of thinking and, and, and it's a way that we've been trained to think, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. There's a guy I knew many years ago who was into martial arts. He had been trained in martial arts for years and years and years. And I saw him in a mall one day. So I thought it would be really funny to go up behind him and give him a fright. <laughs> Bad idea yeah. with somebody who's trained in martial arts. <laughs> because his natural reflex was that the best form of defense is offense. Thankfully, he stopped short. But I learned something that day. <laughs> Never give somebody trained in martial arts a fright. <laughs> What I learned was this. Trained behavior, programmed behavior like a rut, has a certain response. And every time you push that button, you, 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 it's like a stimulus that invokes a certain response. That's a stronghold. Some people's stronghold is hand for a hand, or eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. I push Mishka, she pushes me back. I push her again. See, she doesn't have that. You see, it's a, it's a bad analogy because she doesn't push back, you see. But there's a good stronghold established in her heart, and that's why. <laughs> you understand the principle. So it says, it's about the weapons that God gives you are able to pull down mindsets, strongholds, ways of thinking that are of this world, but are holding you back from the fullness of Christ. Chicken thinking. Strongholds. Casting down arguments. Now, what are arguments? Arguments are something that you do to, 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 to defend the point that you make. So there's a stronghold in your life, and you will argue according to the strongholds that you carry. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. That's the truth. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. There we have that policeman analogy again. When you have somebody running around who's doing things that they are unauthorized to do, that are illegal, they have to be taken captive. People don't just hand themselves in. That's very, very seldom does that happen. 
You need to go and take them captive. And being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. What is the arena? What is this arena that Paul is speaking of here? It's the mind. It's the way you think. That's why Paul says, I pray that you just have a revelation. I pray that you have an understanding that comes to you not from this realm. Let me, let me put it a different way so that you can, can begin to understand or understand better. Jesus says to his disciples, who do men say that I am? Some say Elijah the prophet. Some say John the Baptist. Then he says, who do you say that I am? Peter pipes up and he says, you are the son of God. You're the Messiah. You're the sent one. And Jesus looks at him and he says to him, Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. This is not a natural, that what you've got there is not from this world, because this world couldn't identify it. He said, what you, what you just said, is, is that, that didn't come to you from flesh and blood, but from my Father in heaven. And on this foundation, on that rock, I will build my church. What is he talking about? Peter? He's talking about the revelation of Jesus being the Christ, the revelation of who Jesus is. Revelation knowledge is what sets us apart and, and, and delivers us from strongholds, value systems, ways of thinking that are of this fallen world, however well-intentioned they may be. It's a supernatural revelation that brings about within us reformation. We become reformed into His likeness. The, Religion could be a stronghold. So this is the point. This is the point. It's, it's not religion in itself. And, and, and listen, I do not want you to think of religion just as, 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 as um, uh, what would we call them, religious organizations or churches. We, we often think of denominational is the word I'm looking for, churches as religious churches. Listen, you can have religious in the most charismatic Pentecostal church. A religious system is a way of doing things in which you put trust and dependence to please or appease God. That's religion. It's a set of works. Yes, it can be a stronghold. The primary and most effective weapons in the believer's arsenal for exercising and establishing of our authority in Christ are... Now, hang on a second. Before we get there, why do I say that this is so important? Sorry. Before we jump into this. Because authority through Jesus Christ has already been established. We've already looked at the fact that God seats us together with Christ Jesus. In other words, all that authority has been given to us. The problem that we have, folks, is not that the devil is not defeated. That's been taken care of. The problem that we have is not that Jesus isn't on the throne because he is. The problem is that we have a struggle to believe it and to understand it and to express it. What is it that we need? We need to change the way we think. Think about Jesus, think about God, but probably most importantly, the way we think about ourselves. Our thinking about who we are needs to line up with the truth of who God says we are. Our thoughts of what we have needs to line up. I think it's Joel Osteen who stands, stands up every Sunday, I think it is, and he says, this is my Bible. I am who it says I am. I have what it says I have, and I can do what it says I can do. So we've already established tonight that those who believe that this is true will do the same things Jesus did and even greater works than those. So here's how you and I begin to exercise this authority. So much of church culture today is fatalistic in the sense that we believe that if God wants it to happen, God will make it happen. 
What will be, will be. If God allows it, or if it happens, it's happened because God has allowed it. Folks, that's just not true. Why? Because God has given you and I dominion. The problems that we see in the world around us, they're not there because God allows them. They're there because we allow them. That's the truth. So where do we then begin taking this authority that Jesus has given us and begin working it out? How do I begin to exercise authority? Not over people, but over mindsets, over situations. There's a few tools that God has given us. And the first one is this, the Word of God. In the account of Jesus being tempted by the devil, you can read it for yourself, Matthew 4, verse 1 to 11, Christ's response to the temptation is noteworthy. On each occasion, he responded by saying, it is written. So the devil said, do this, and he said, it is written. He responded with the word of God every single time. The enemy has no power or authority when confronted with the truth of God's word. Why? Because the truth exposes him as a liar. You all with me? Are you okay, guys? Should we take a break? I mean, I see we've been going for an hour already. I can't believe it. Time flies when you're having fun. Do you guys want to have a break quickly, or do you want to just carry right on? Carry on? Great. All right, let's do that. I'm happy to do so. Second of all, it's vitally important for the believer to gain a sound knowledge and understanding of the Word of God. Without it, he cannot bring it to bear in his life. Ignorance concerning God's Word leads to defeat. Hosea 4, verse 6 says this, My people are destroyed because the enemy is like a roaring lion who comes in and is so powerful. No, obviously that's not what it says. It says this, My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Get, that in, get, 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 get what he's saying there. The destruction you see in your life, the destruction you see in the world around you, is the product of ignorance. Because if we knew the truth, the truth would set us free from those things, deliver us from them, and give, them domin- give us dominion over them. What you don't know can kill you. We need to be sitting with our noses in this book daily so that our minds can begin being renewed out of the ruts and through revelation knowledge and fellowship with the Holy Spirit so that we begin to think the way that Jesus did. We think from a perspective of victory. We think from the starting place of blessing. Not how can we get there, but when, when we walk out of our door, we don't face the world worried about what may come at us. We walk out the door and say, be careful, world. You better be worried because I'm coming at you. I'm already victorious. I'm already blessed. Every need that I have is already met. Why? Because the Word of God says so, and it's the truth. But do we live that way? Yeah. This is really important. Ignorant concerning God, ignorance concerning God's word is the mother of defeat. Kenneth E. Hagin says, you'll only defeat the devil when you've got a foundation of God's word and you act upon it. Praying according to the word of God is one way believers take their place of authority in Christ on the earth. Please forgive me for the misalignment of that little picture there. One of those little things sent to irk me. The point is this. I, we cannot overstress the importance of truly embracing and, and, and eating. Ezekiel said it this way, your words were found and I 
ate them. I got them into me. And your word was the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. Let me just make a note of these scriptures. I will read just parts of them to you very quickly. Psalm chapter 1. Psalm 1, the very first psalm, says this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. In other words, the word of God. And in his law he meditates, ponders on day and night. What will his life be like, the man who does this? Well, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in season, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. So he walks out the house with an expectation of victory and prosperity, not of defeat or lack. Let me read you another verse. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. In other words, you'll get it into you. That you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Who will make your way prosperous? You will. Not God. You are responsible for the level and the degree of prosperity and blessing you see in your life. Not God. Why? Because God has already blessed you with everything. Jesus has already given you all of himself. He's not holding back anything from you. He is the tree of life, people. And when the enemy comes in and says he's holding out on you, no, there's something else better there. Know that he is lying. The level and the degree of blessing and prosperity and victory you walk in in your daily life is in accordance with your revelation of, 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 of knowledge, of revelation knowledge, and in accordance with your obedience to that knowledge. As you walk in it, the fruit of it will become evident in and of itself. You and I have to make our way prosperous. God's already done His part. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. His feet are already on a footstool. He's not in the mood to get up again. I've heard people say it this way. God has already done everything He's ever going to do for you. You get to decide whether you receive it and work with it and take hold of it and work it out in your life. Mark 16, verse 17 and 18 says this. These, these signs will... Fo- sorry, then we've got the next one. I beg your pardon, sorry. We just discussed the Word of God. So there, there's some scriptures for you to go and meditate on. Think about those. The next, the, the next weapon that God gives us is the name of Jesus. You know, it's really interesting. When I watch my kids, uh, I know I use them as an analogy a lot. I never, ever thought the rich resource that they would be for preaching material. I didn't realize, but it's awesome. But it's quite interesting when I have my kids, Leah, the older one, will go to Liliana, the younger one, and say, Lily, must do this and this and this and that. And they'll go, no. And she says, but mom said so. Yeah. And let me tell you, when mom says so, it's a different ball game. Right? Mom said so. In other words, my instruction comes from above. And if you don't obey a chick, you're in trouble. And immediately that changes things. Well, you know what? We can do exactly the same thing to the devil. Jesus said so. 
and with that comes a whole new ball game. It's very interesting. There's, in the book of Acts, I think it's chapter 19, there's a story about um, you know, the church going out and signs and wonders being done in all the names. And there were, there, there were a whole bunch of guys. There, there was a group of guys called the Sons of Sceva. And they were part of a school of exorcism or a group or a sect within Jewish community of, of exorcists. In other words, those who cast out demons. And so they went to this guy who was demon-possessed and said, we cast you out in the name of, of the one who, 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 I forget the exact wording, who's pre, who, by Paul. Let me, let me read it to you because it's actually really funny. It's actually really funny. Are you guys okay for time? I'm enjoying myself tonight. All right. So, <clears throat> so they come. Is it 19? Yes. Yes. And so they come there. We exercise you, Acts 19.13, by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. And there were also seven sons of Sceva, Jewish chief priests. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know. Paul I know. But who are you? And he gave them a big puckslaw. Because they didn't actually know Jesus. What does that mean? They were illegitimate. They weren't sent by Jesus. They weren't followers of Jesus. They didn't follow his instructions. Anyways, this whole thing of mom says so is, is, is a really great analogy because Jesus says so. And we can't just go and say, yeah, Jesus said so. It's about knowing that Jesus said so in my heart. Jesus said so to me. And now Jesus is saying so through me. Jesus instructs us to use his name and thus the authority and power associated with his name in dealing with the influence of the kingdom of darkness wherever we go. Mark 16, verse 17 to 18 says, And these signs will follow those who believe. We have it again. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. How will they do all of these miraculous things? In my name. And what does he mean by that? He means by my authority. That's what he means. Luke ten seventeen to 20, again. Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even demons are subject to us in your name. There you have it again. As they were submitted to Jesus' instructions to go, his authority went with them. And, it, and the, the response to his authority, demons were subject to them. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Why did Jesus say that? What does that have to do with anything? In Jesus' mind, he knew exactly who he was dealing with. He knew exactly who Satan was. He wasn't intimidated by him. Wow, Jesus, in your name. Or even the demons are excited. And Jesus is like, oh, please, man, I saw Satan falling like, you know. Why are you so excited about that? Is it, to Jesus, this was like no big thing. Of course he's subject to you. I sent you. And then he carries on to say, Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. All the power of the enemy. All the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, don't rejoice at this that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. So that's the real beautiful thing. And Jesus is like, that's something worth being impressed about. That's something that's pretty awesome. But here we see, serpents and scorpions are, he's making reference to demonic forces, to demonic strongholds, to things that oppress that which is there to kill, to steal, to destroy. And he says, I've given you authority over all of these things. 
Did you get that? Jesus has given you, you and me, authority over the devil, over demonic forces. You, me. The serpents and scorpions, as I've just said, speak of demonic spiritual forces. The word behold is poignant. It says, behold, I give you authority. Because it points out that the authority Jesus gives us is something that is tangible, effectual, and can be observed. That's important. You can see it. It has a manifestation. Acts 3, verse 6, Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Very interesting to note in this example, Peter and John did not stop and pray. They did not stop and ask God a thing. They, oh, please, Jesus, would you come? Oh, th-. They used their authority and they said, In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And they exercised authority over the man's paralysis. And he rose up and walked. They didn't pray. Didn't beg. Didn't plead. But they used the authority that God had given them. So we've looked at that we have the word of God. We have the name of Jesus. And thirdly, we have the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus to do the miracles that he did. Remember I said to you, he didn't perform a single miracle until after his baptism when the Holy Spirit descended upon him. Luke 4, 18 and 19 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty all those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. In other words, the year of Jubilee, where all debts are canceled. The same Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus lives and abides in the heart of every believer empowering us to do what he did. Isn't that incredible? That's why Jesus says, the works that I do, you will do also, and even greater works. Why? Because the same spirit that was in me is going to be in you. Acts 1 verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So there's a power that resides in us. The word power comes from the word dynami. It's a Greek word. It's, for, it's, it's the root Greek word where we get the word dynamite. There is explosive power and authority in you because the Holy Spirit is in you. You see, you're not weak. You're not defeated. The problem is, that's not the problem. The problem is that you think you are. The problem is that you believe you are. You still think like a chicken. When God has made you to be an eagle. And that may seem very accusatory. I struggle with it too. This is our battle. This is our fight. To see ourselves the way God does. To understand and have a revelation of the power that resides. The potential that resides within us. The Holy Spirit brings the power and authority of the word of God and the name of Jesus to bear as we step out in faith. Using the name of Jesus and declaring the word of God authorizes or releases him to manifest his power on our behalf. We co-labor with the Holy Spirit and with Jesus in bringing his kingdom to bear. Mark chapter 16 verse 20 says this, And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word. 
through accompanying signs. Amen. Isn't that beautiful? The Lord working with them. And folks, this is what God wants to do. What I'm hoping to do tonight is to stir in your heart a greater expectation that will turn you not to strive to do things, but will turn your heart to say, Jesus, I realize that I haven't begun to scratch the surface of everything that resides in me. Please give me a revelation of what, it, what there is. And give me opportunities to start expressing it and working it out. Here's the thing. Jesus had 70 people following. He sends out 70 disciples. He says, go out there two by two. This is what we read about. They come back saying, wow, even the demons are subject to us. They didn't experience the power of God until they grasped or took the opportunities that, that were presented to them. So if you want to start experiencing this, it's going to have to mean we get out of our comfort zones and begin taking the opportunities that God gives us within our personal lives as well as in the lives of others. In order for authority to function, it needs to be expressed. That's what I'm talking about. Without expression, the power that enforces authority remains dormant. Policeman can stay in his home, in his civvies, has all the authority, never goes out and uses it. It remains dormant. It's pointless. And that's what many of us Christians are like. Authorized but dormant. We never put on our spiritual uniform. What do I mean by that? I mean a mindset of victory and overcoming and go out and happen to the world. There are many ways that the power behind our authority in Christ can be released or expressed. Through prayer, through praise, through worship, through laying on of hands, intercession, through confession, through fasting, to name just a few but the point that I want to make tonight is, folks, there is so much more in you that God has placed there for victory, for your blessing, for, for dominion. And we, haven't, we, we, we live so far short of it. And here's the travesty that we do. Jesus sets the standard right up here and he says all things and he paints this incredible picture for us. But yet our experience so often is down here. And the travesty is that we take that word and we take that expectation and somehow we theologically, doctrinally try and explain things in such a way that our expectation comes down to here. And we believe according to the flesh and that this is what normal Christianity should be like. And instead of raising up to the level that Jesus talks about, we bring the word of God down to our level and make it a common thing to excuse our apathy, to explain away the lack of spiritual power that we see in our lives. Folks, let it not be so. Let us be challenged by these things to press into God, to strive to make them come to pass in our lives. Jesus has promised. God has given us incredible promises. Jesus has met every single one of those. The promises of God in Him, in Christ Jesus, are yes and amen. You know, where that, you know that scripture? In other words, every promise that God has ever made to you in Christ Jesus, in other words, through your relationship with Him, is yes. In other words, God, can I? Yes. Did I promise it? And you can have it. And amen. Let it be so. How much of that do we see and experience? There is so much more that God longs to see in and through our lives. And tonight, really, the hope is to call you up to that, to take your place and not sit waiting for God to do something that He's already done. Not waiting for God to do something in a situation that He wants you to be the instigator for change in that situation. And we get up off our comfortable spaces, our comfortable spiritual couches, and say, right, God, I understand. I'm an ambassador here. How do you want to use me? And allow the Lord to begin working through you in that way. 
Let's round out talking about the Great Commission before we conclude. Jesus has not only authorized us to use his name in establishing his kingdom rule on earth, he has commissioned or sent us to do so. This is a beautiful scripture. And Jesus, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Let's pause. This is the whole subject of tonight. He says, All authority, ultimate authority has been given to me. And then he says, go therefore. I am the ultimate legitimate authority. I hereby send you. That means everywhere you go, you go in my name carrying ultimate authority with you. That really should be blowing our minds at the potential of what that could be. Again, not to dominate and rule over people. That's an immature idea of what authority is but to bring the kingdom of God to bear. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Make followers of Jesus, those who will go in His authority and be like Him, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Folks, I want you to do me a favor. Put down your pens. Take a look at your hands. Take a good look at your hands. You may think you're familiar with them, but I want you to just take another look at your hands. Look at them. Front, back. And I want to say to you tonight, as you look at your hands, those hands that you see are the hands that God wants to use. Those hands that you see are the hands that God wants to work through. Not somebody else's hands. Your hands. Your physical hands. Those are the hands God wants to work through. Mark 16, 15 and 18 says, And he said to them, Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. It says they'll follow those who believe. It doesn't say these signs will follow evangelists or pastors or preachers. The only limitation that is placed on this is those who believe. What limitations have you placed? The whole purpose of tonight's lesson is to remove every single limitation. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick. Look at your hands. Look at your hands. Look at your hands. You will lay those hands on the sick, and they will recover. Your hands. My question is this. What do you believe? See, that's the only determining factor. The only determining factor that God ever gave or Jesus ever gave was this. Those who believe in my name, they will do. Do you believe tonight that God can do that and wants to do that through you? Do you believe tonight that that wonder-working power abides within you? Do you believe tonight that as you go out of this place that you have dominion and authority in the name of Jesus over every sickness, over every disease, over every demonic influence, over every bondage? That's the truth. 
Now I understand that sometimes that revelation takes a while to set in. But the wheels have started turning tonight. Press into that to understand and believe. If you just believe it, if you just believe it, you unlock the fullness of its potential. All it takes is faith. If you believe. Kenneth e. Hagen says, God wants us to know we have victory over Satan in every contest and circumstance, even as Jesus had victory over Satan when he was on the earth. We don't have to struggle to be victorious. We just need to stand our ground with the Word of God against a defeated foe according to what we already possess in Christ. So let's round this off with the understanding, first of all, that Satan is a defeated foe. Through his sinless life, atoning death, and glorious resurrection, Jesus has dealt the winning blow to his power and influence on the earth. As believers, we have the privilege and responsibility to enforce this victory, both in our own lives and as ambassadors of Christ wherever we go. It's a privilege and an opportunity and a responsibility. So personal application. Is there an area of your life that you have been consistently experiencing defeat and disappointment? Perhaps you're struggling with habitual sin that you feel powerless to overcome. Armed with the Word of God. So in other words, what does God say about that particular situation in your life? The name of Jesus and with the power of the Holy Spirit backing you up, begin to exercise your authority in Christ over those areas and enforce His victory. Speak to that area in your life. One thing that's not in this list and that you need to understand, authority is released by speaking. Make note of that. Authority is released by speaking. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. Go, therefore. He made the mark, the remark, the comment. And if you want to release your authority, it's not going to come by hoping or by reading or by thinking. You're going to have to release authority by speaking. That's God's chosen way. Remember that Jesus is with you and is backing you wherever you go. Trust in His name. Trust in His word. Trust in the Holy Spirit and see what God will do in and through your life. Amen? I need to close by reading a scripture again. Because I still haven't had a single shout all night. 1 John 3 verse 8. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, for this purpose, this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that He might destroy the works of the devil. (laughs) And I want to say this to you. For this reason, tomorrow morning you wake up, you will be manifested in this world. To do what? (laughs) The works of the devil. (laughs) But I like the conviction there, Carmen. I like the conviction. You see... When you go into your workplace and into your life tomorrow, know that you go there as an agent of the kingdom of God. You go bearing light which dispels darkness. You go victorious. You go blessed. So go and happen. 
Go let the kingdom manifest through your life. Go speak words of love and encouragement to those who are discouraged and affirmation to those who need it. Go and pray for somebody who's sick. Or if you're feeling in a Peter and Johnish mood, just go command things over them. Command you, get out of that chair. Excuse me, who are you? I just... So don't be foolish. Hear me out. But you understand what I mean. Let's go with an understanding that within us and backing us is all the authority of Jesus Christ. And when we submit to Him and follow Him and do what He tells us to do, we're assured of success. Because all of heaven is backing us. Many times we get it wrong, I admit. We do things we think this is God and we mess up. I want to tell you something. It amazes me how much mess God is willing to put up with in our discovery of how He works. But He's happy to put up with it as we learn and grow. Your child, Mark, is beginning to learn to walk. There's a lot of falling going on. We were potty training our, 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 our children. With some success. There was lots of failure. But ultimately they learned. But they would never have learned if I just kept them nappies on. Folks, let's take our spiritual nappies off. Let's go. If we make a mess along the way, God is well able to clean up our mess. But let's get out of our comfort zones. Let's go and take some authority. Let's go and release some authority over those things which are problematic in our lives. And let's go and let's go and take the kingdom of God to the world that in, in the area and the sphere in which God has placed us. Amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.